please be seated. I've chosen our responsorial psalm as my homily text this morning because it represents such a compelling summary of the contrast between the walk of the righteous and the walk of the unrighteous. And notice how it lines up conceptually with our Old Testament reading today from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 and 7, where we just read these words. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. <clears throat> you know that there is a consistent theme all throughout the scriptures of how the journey that we call life on earth offers us a fundamental choice of two roads, doesn't it? Two ways. The road of godliness and eternal blessing or the road of ungodliness and eternal loss. The great cosmic struggle between good and evil, between God and Satan, virtue and sin, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness is being played out today before our very eyes. Listen to these now familiar words of St. John Paul II, spoken during a visit to the United States when he was still Cardinal Carol Watiwa. Here's what he said, quote, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has ever experienced. I do not think the wide circle of the American society or the wide circle of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, between Christ and the antichrist. This confrontation lies within the plans of divine providence. It is therefore in God's plan, and it must be a trial which the church must take up and face courageously. Thus spoke John Paul II. So this confrontation is not only cosmic, I would suggest to you that it's also personal, as it plays itself out in the life of every single human being on the planet, including you and me. It's played out both in terms of the overall way a person chooses to live his or her, her life, and more specifically, in the day-to-day -day choices we make in life. You see this struggle, this dichotomy of choices depicted in countless ways throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, beginning, of course, with Adam and Eve's choice of their own will over the will of God. Then immediately thereafter, in the, in the lives of their own children, that is the struggle between the righteous Abel and the evil Cain. We see it over and over throughout the history of God's relationship with his chosen people Israel and the choices they made, sometimes to faithfully follow God, sometimes to arrogantly and foolishly disobey him. There were countless times that God made the alternatives crystal clear and demanded that his people choose the right one. Listen, for example, to his words in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, 
verse 19. God says through Moses, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and cleaving to him, for that means life to you and length of days. Again in Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse, verses 14 and 15, we read these words of Joshua to the people of Israel. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if you be unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We see the struggle continue all throughout the Old Testament and reach a crescendo in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness. And this choice, this same choice, continues for you and me today. Because like all human beings, we have been endowed, each and every one of us, with a most wonderful and most fearsome gift, namely a free will. Psalm 1 begins by encouraging us to make both the right choice and the right choices by describing the man or woman of God and how that person conducts him or herself in life and by declaring a blessing upon such a one. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 1 actually constitute a kind of meditation on the way of righteousness, telling us in verse 1, what the righteous one does not do. In verse 2, what he or she does do. And in verse 3, then, what the blessings of that way are. Listen again to these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So in that affirmation, blessed is the man, <coughs> excuse me, blessed is the man, we see a foretaste of the Beatitudes of today's gospel reading from Luke chapter 6, along with its parallel passage in Matthew chapter 5, the, the Sermon on the Mount. So Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man. Jesus, in these gospel accounts, today's and in Matthew chapter 5, makes the blessing even more personal by beginning with the words, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Either way, the Word of God is providing us with a prescription for true happiness in this life and in the life to come. Both Psalm 1 and the Beatitudes are in effect an invitation coupled with a promise. The invitation begins with a negative admonition in verse 1 that seems to be more or less 
saying the same thing in three different ways. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Sounds like, again, three different ways of saying the same thing. But if you look at the admonition closely, you find that it is actually depicting the progressive downward spiral of the person who refuses and therefore frustrates the grace of God in his life. In a nutshell, that downward progression goes from first heeding the counsel and advice of the ungodly, then intimately identifying with reprobate people and their lifestyle, to finally being settled and established in the authority and in the judgment of scornful, ungodly people. Overall, the admonition is to avoid the advice, the lifestyles, and the association with a culture that is incorrigibly steeped in sin. All this, by the way, as the psalmist implies, is as natural as the progression of walking, standing, and sitting. And the best way to heed the warning is not to start the downward spiral by not walking, as he says, in the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked. If you think about it, that counsel, the counsel of the wicked, is as readily available to us today as the air we breathe. You and I, living in the 21st century in America, are kind of like fish swimming and living every day in a toxic sewer. Is that too extreme a characterization? How else are we to characterize a culture where it is normal, normal to kill one million unborn babies every year in the womb and where the perpetrators of that crime, the enablers of that unspeakable horror, are now moving it to the depth of killing full-term born babies outside the womb. How else are we to characterize a culture that celebrates sodomy, even daring to elevate it to the state of marriage? How else are we to characterize a culture where a man can be formally and officially acknowledged to be a woman just because he says so, or vice versa, and God help you if you refuse to go along? How else are we to characterize a culture where adultery, cohabitation, and divorce are at an all-time high? How else are we to characterize a culture where murder and mayhem are destroying our cities in an unprecedented way? How else are we to characterize a culture where tens of thousands of people die each year in drug overdoses? How else are we to characterize a culture where pornography is so instantaneously available that it has become the great scourge of so many men, including, sadly, so many otherwise faithful Catholic men, and where boys cross the threshold of that scourge as early as age 10 or 11? And how else are we to characterize a culture where God is routinely mocked 
and shut out of the public square. Christianity is belittled and marginalized, and faithful Christians are taken to court simply for standing up for what they believe in. What we are witnessing is a culture that is rapidly spinning out of control and self-destructing before our very eyes. And so take heed, brothers and sisters, of this toxic environment that surrounds us. And don't ever succumb to its counsel. Because if you start to believe the lie, the lie that sin isn't sin, it's only a small step for the one who heeds such counsel to then fall into sin. And the next logical step in this process of spiritual debasement, as the psalm indicates, is to sit in the seat of scoffers. What does that mean? That means to cynically mock both the virtuous life and those who would strive to attain it. You want to know where the modern-day seat of scoffers is most prevalent and most obvious? I believe it's in social media. You want a good example? Consider this. How long did it take in January of 2019, once the video hit the internet, for social media, especially Twitter, to explode with condemnations of the boys from Covington Catholic High School at the 2019 March for Life? In the end, every single one of those tens of thousands of condemnations were proven utterly wrong. The boys did nothing wrong. But the condemnations were, for the most part, motivated initially by the boys' own fourfold, what I would call, societal sin. What was their fourfold societal sin? They were white, they were male, they were Catholic, and they were pro-life. Oh, yeah. And they were wearing the wrong hats. So make no mistake about it, just by reason of our living in the culture we live in, we are plunged into an ongoing spiritual warfare for the hearts and souls of mankind, especially of our children and youth, all pivoting on the struggle, the choice that I made reference to at the beginning of this homily, the, the simple fundamental choice between good and evil, God and Satan, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. So it is against the backdrop of this struggle that the psalmist joyfully proclaims, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Have you stopped to consider how much our popular culture does not delight in the law of the Lord? How much each person has become a law unto himself or herself? This has spawned a situation where even as we see a limitless proliferation of man-made laws, most of, most of which are ignored by a large percentage of the population, the fundamentally immutable overarching laws of God and of the natural law are completely ignored by the culture. That's the basis for the toxic societal and cultural sewer that I referred to just a moment ago. But the good news is that the one whom the psalmist calls blessed 
is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that it does, it prospers. As you and I strive for godliness, as you and I strive for holiness in our lives, and I hope you are, we are given unlimited access to the living water of God's grace. That grace is an outpouring of the very life of God, God himself, into our lives, feeding us, nurturing us, strengthening us, making it possible for mere mortals like us to become saints. Yes, to become saints. If you have to admit to yourself that you're not striving for that type of holiness, I encourage you to start today. God and his church will equip you with everything that you need to attain it. With everything you need to attain it. If you are striving for it, I encourage you to stay faithful because God is for you and because the victory is well worth the struggle. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>